Hello friends and welcome to episode 13 of The Regenerate Millennial. On today's episode I'm going to do something a little bit different. Um, I'm really pleased to be able to share a sermon that I preached uh, a couple weeks back um, at a gathering a few hours from my home. I was invited to preach. Um, I haven't preached actually in a few years and um, I was nervous uh, because the pulpit deserves respect and the word of God deserves respect but at the same time I was excited and honored to be able to have the opportunity to share the word of God and I'm excited and honored uh, to share it with you today on the podcast. So I pray that you are blessed by the word of God through the sermon. All glory to God. It's not about me. It's not about my opinion as always. It's about Jesus. It's about God. It's about being grounded in scripture and what the Bible says. Hope you enjoy. Let's get started. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Okay, guys, uh, I'll try and speak really loudly. Um, First of all, thank you for having me here. This is awesome. Um, My pastor uh, released me to come up here today, so thanks to him as well. Um, I don't want to say too much about myself uh, because I'm not here for me. Uh, But I will say I grew up with Spencer, as he mentioned. Uh, We've known each other since middle school. We've traveled all over the world to, uh, together, been in mission together. Um, what I'm going to preach on today is very personal to me. Um, it's my journey over the last few years where God has taken me, um, especially in the last couple years. Uh, and it's because of men like Spencer speaking into my life and challenging views that I thought were biblical and that I was so set in because it made me feel good. Um, and it feels like for the last especially the last couple of years that God has just been pulling things out of my theology and just showing me uh, what the Bible says and why it's authoritative. So um, before I pray, I just want to tell you guys so you can uh, start to turn there in your Bibles. We're going to be uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and we'll start in verse 1. So if you want to go ahead and uh, find Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 1. I'm going to pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be here. 
thank you for every single person who is here, who has heeded your call to gather as the local church, uh, who is is obeying uh, what you command in Scripture, God. What a blessing it is to see every single face here. Thank you so, so much, God, that in, in these times of deception and lies and, and different things claiming that they're the truth, that we know we have the truth because we have your word, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. God, let it not be my words or my opinion. God, but let your word go forth because I want to honor you with everything that I say and I want your word to go forth to people's hearts and souls and transform their lives because my words cannot do that. Only yours can. Amen. Okay, so if you guys are in Deuteronomy chapter 8, we're going to look at the historical context of this passage, and we are going to see that Moses is reminding the Israelites of the 40 years that they wandered in the desert. Uh, They wandered in the desert due to their refusal and disobedience to occupy the land of Canaan that God had promised them. That you can read about in Numbers 13 and 14. God disciplined the Israelites by making them wander, and in our passage today, Moses is imploring the people to remember what God had done to sustain them, even though they had disobeyed. All right, let's go to the Word of God, Deuteronomy 8, starting in verse 1. I'm reading from the ESV just for reference. The whole commandment that I command to you today you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, <clears throat> your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell in these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. You shall eat and be full, you shall bless, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Moses opens up by saying in verse 1, the whole commandment, the whole commandment. And that's a word that we'll come back to in a little bit. He reminds the Israelites that God had sworn to give the land to their fathers. Notice in verse 2 that Moses doesn't simply suggest that they remember the whole way that the Lord had led them in those 40 years. He says, you shall remember. In the second half of verse 2, he gives the reasons uh, for wondering that God's that God had caused, to humble and to test, to know what was in their hearts, if they would keep his commandments or not. Of course, God already knew exactly what the Israelites were going to do. So he does this for their sake 
not for his own. Going into verse 3, we see the word humbled again. And in this case, it's a humbling brought by physical hunger. God then miraculously provides for his people with supernatural provision that neither they nor the fathers had known. Manna. Why? The answer is given. That he might make you know. This is verse 3. That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In verse 4, we see that not only God did uh, supernaturally fed the Israelites, but he also caused the clothing on their bodies uh, to be sustained in an environment that is hostile, a desert environment. God, by his own creative power, without any ordinary means, can provide for the sustaining of life. Verse 5, speaking of discipline, God is a good father. Not only a good father, he's the perfect father. And like any good father, he disciplines his children. Moses expands on this in verse 6 by giving the divine reason behind his discipline so that they will keep his commandments and walk in his ways and fear him. This speaks to the holiness of our God. Through the remaining verses of 7 to 10, we see God fulfilling his promise to his children, the Israelites, and bringing them into a land he had promised to bring, uh, bring them to. We see God fulfilling the promise he made not because of anything whatsoever that the Israelites had done or anything that they had to offer to God. He does this. Why does God do this? Why does he fulfill his promise? Because he said he would do it. He made a promise, and when God fulfills his promises, he brings glory to his name so that he might be worshipped. Our main focus today will be verse 3, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And we see our Lord Jesus Christ quote this passage in Matthew chapter 4 while he is being tempted by the devil in the desert. So please go with me to Matthew chapter 4. And uh, we'll start in verse 1. I'll give you a moment to get there. Okay. Matthew chapter 4, we'll start in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, "Uh, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In Matthew's Gospel, we see the God-man being led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted. Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights, a perfect version of the 40 years in the wilderness. We see perfect obedience to the Father. Jesus needed to live as a human because only a human could die in the place that a human deserves to die in. He humbled himself through physical discomfort. In this case, like the Israelites, it was hunger. I love how it seems so casual. After 40 days, he was hungry. What an understatement. Who wouldn't be? Not just hungry, but longing for food. Longing to satiate the undoubtedly painful groanings of the flesh 
longing for physical sustenance. Let me ask you, what would have been so wrong if Jesus had just done it? What would it be so wrong if Jesus indeed showed his power to Satan right then and there and turned those stones into bread? Wouldn't he have displayed his awesome might and, and proved that he, he is the Son of God? First off, Satan already knew Jesus was the Son of God. Don't think for a second that Satan was simply curious that, oh, maybe, maybe this could be the Son of God. He knew well and good that Jesus was and that Jesus is. So what's the big deal? Turn some stones into bread, prove to Satan uh, his own godhood, relieve his physical longing for something to eat. What's the big deal? It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Again, Jesus needed to live as a human. If he would have turned the stones into bread, he sets an example no human can follow. I don't know about you guys, but I do not have the creative power to turn this table or this floor or a stone outside into food, into a piece of bread. Could Jesus have done it? Yes, of course. Of course he could. He, dis he displays spiritual dependence through physical discomfort instead. That is, that is something that we as humans are capable of through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Jesus did not just die for us, he lived for us as well. Not only did Jesus choose not to satisfy his hunger, but look at his words in John 6, 38. So let's, let's go there together. John chapter 6, verse 38. Okay, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And uh, let's go back a couple pages to John 5.19 as well. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. Jesus was not in the business of bringing glory to himself. His M.O. was to bring glory to the Father. If it wasn't his Father's will, he simply did not do it. What a glorious example of perfect humility and perfect obedience our Lord Jesus Christ is. It didn't take him 40 years of wandering in the desert to display perfect obedience. Even after 40 years in the desert, the Israelites weren't even close to perfect in theirs. God's holiness, juxtaposed to the will of our flesh, is a gap of unfathomable proportions. Jesus goes even further than quoting Deuteronomy 8.3 to the devil. In John chapter 6, and I'm going to jump around a bit, you are encouraged to follow along. Uh, Jesus actually says that he is the bread of life and that no one who comes to him will hunger. The Jews, so Satan quotes scripture uh, against Jesus while he tempts them. 
Interesting, the Jews quote scripture against Jesus in John chapter 6. This is verses uh, 30 and 31. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. But Jesus compares himself directly to the manna that was provided for the Israelites in the desert. He says that Moses didn't give them bread from heaven, but the Father gives the true bread. Verse 32, let's look at it. His, his direct answer to what they just said. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it, wasn't, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. The crowd that was there, they ask him. This is, this is verse 34. They ask him, Sir, give us this bread always. They seem to want this. To which Jesus responds, I am the bread of life. The Jews grumbled about him. They complained about him. They sought to kill him. They couldn't believe this guy from Galilee was claiming to be the bread of life. A bread even greater than the bread that God provided through Moses? This is Moses. And if we know anything about the Pharisees, we know they love Moses. Look at verse 42. They were saying, Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I have come from heaven? And they grumbled against him. Think back to John chapter 4. We don't need to go there. Just think about John chapter 4, where Jesus tells the Samaritan woman at the well that he is the water that quenches all thirst and subsequently tells her he is the Messiah. This is the reason we take communion, to remember that Jesus is the bread of life, the bread that was broken on our behalf as he drank the full cup of the wrath of God that we deserve. He is the bread of life, the true sustaining bread, the only sustaining bread. This is not a bread that is physical or attainable by the efforts or the works of man, but only by Christ's triumph over sin and death on the cross. See the parallels with the manna? The Israelites didn't know what manna was. That's literally what it's called. What is it? <laughs> what is this stuff? Their fathers didn't know it either. They could not provide the food or the means by which to survive by any natural method in their situation, and neither can we. So that's the background of the text, and that's how Jesus used it. So what does it mean for us here today in Canada, in British Columbia in 2021? I said that we're going to come back to the, to the word whole uh, that we see in Deuteronomy 8, uh, verses 1 and 2. And we're going to do that as well as the word whole. We're going to come back to the word every that we see in Deuteronomy 8, 3. Uh, these two words are actually the same word in Hebrew. It's kol, K-O-L, uh, and they mean the same thing. Every, or whole command, and every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Where does that come from? Where do you 
get every word. Right here. The Bible. We only want to hear from God's mouth. And the only place we can do that without a shadow of a doubt is the Holy Scriptures. The Reformer's cry of sola scriptura, salvation by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, according to what? Scripture. Scripture alone. For His glory alone. I said this was personal to me, and it is. The authoritative Word of God laid out on the pages from Genesis to Revelation. There are all kinds of voices out there claiming to be speaking the authoritative Word of God. It's not only foolishness, it's dangerous. When we allow the thought that God gives revelation outside of Scripture to His people, we end up with a view of God that is not biblical. The Mormons claim that there is another testament. They even wrote their own so-called holy book. Prophets, so-called prophets, especially in the American evangelical church, claimed that without a shadow of a doubt, Donald Trump would be elected for a second term. Not one or two of these prophets, so-called prophets, dozens of them, dozens of them, they claimed that God was giving them direct revelation from heaven, and there wasn't any way it wasn't going to happen. Some even talk about Jesus coming to them personally and telling them things, or angels appearing to them with a new word from God, as if we need a new word. Think of the people who have been led astray because the sufficiency of Scripture is not heeded. Is what God has laid out in Scripture not good enough? The Word of God is holy. And it is not to be thrown around flippantly. So-called new revelation also allows for what I like to call smorgasbord Christianity. And I was one of them. The kind of Christianity where you, you pick, you choose, I like this, I like this, I like this, I don't really like that, I'm going to leave that there, I'm going to ignore that. I'll take that part, I'll take that part. The kind of Christianity where you pick and choose what you like from the Bible and then you conveniently leave out the parts that challenge or offend you. That's a lot of parts. When I read the Bible, it offends me. I know I'm on the right track if my flesh is getting offended. If my flesh is warring against what I read in the Scripture, I know i got to be on the right track here. i got to be. You must see that this is the first deception spoken to Eve in the garden. Did God really say? 
Yes, He did. And it's in His Word. His every word. His whole Word. Only in His Word. I was having a conversation with a dear friend of mine uh, a few weeks back on this topic, actually. And he asked me, he said, isn't there grace for getting prophecy wrong? You know, talking about the, the prophets who said Trump would be elected a second term. Isn't there grace for getting prophecy wrong? To which I replied, go and study the word. Go and study scripture and then come back to me and we'll talk about that. God's word is holy and it must, it must be honored. Is the Bible not enough? Do you need something fresh, something new from God? Has God not taken care to preserve his holy words in scripture throughout the millennia? This is a book like no other. Historically backed like no other book. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is, is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. No man-made writing is sufficient enough to equip us for every good work. Only the word of God can do that. If the scriptures are sufficient that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work, then nothing more is needed. Look at Paul's warning to the church in Colossus in Colossians 2.8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of this world, rather than according to Christ. See what Jude says in Jude 1.3. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write down to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith that was, and hear this, once and for all handed down to the saints. Once and for all time. No matter how good a fresh word from God sounds, no matter how how godly the preacher seems, and use this on me too, or how intriguing the new revelation appears, or how much it seems to resonate with your heart. It's not ever to be seen as equal to or a completion of the word of God. Paul does not mince words in his letter to the Galatians as we read in Galatians 1.8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Even if we, who's we? The apostles, the disciples, the people who were with Christ and firsthand witnesses of those who were with Christ, the people who founded the church, who founded it. If we, if they, the apostles, or an angel, a being that is directly in the presence of God directly in the presence of God. If we or an angel preach a gospel contrary to the one that has already been preached to you, let him be accursed. God's word is holy and it must, must be honored. Hebrews 1, 1-2, Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. And where do we find the words of His Son? 
Here. Only here. The standard for us, the standard for the Christian, is Deuteronomy 4.2. You shall not add, or you shall not add to the word that I commanded you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I commanded you. So we're not to add to it, you know, hence the, the prophets saying that, that God told them Trump was going to be elected a second time. We also can't take away from it. We can't just take out the parts that we don't like, that our flesh wants to fight against and that make us feel uncomfortable. God has spoken authoritatively in his word, and if scripture is not the authority by which everything is submitted to, the temptation will, will be to add or to take away parts of Scripture that don't conform to our ideas and our ideals. Do you see the danger in this? Please see the danger in this. Can we not see evidence of this? Everywhere we look, our opinions must submit to Scripture. Our feelings must submit to Scripture. Our experiences, ooh, here's a big one for us, us uh, evangelicals in the West. Our experiences must submit to Scripture. Our culture must submit. Your favorite preacher must submit. Your favorite podcaster must submit. Your favorite blogger, YouTuber, whoever it is, they have to, they must submit to Scripture. It is our job as Christians to submit to Scripture, not the other way around. This is up here, and I'm down here. This is not down here, and I'm telling it what I think. It is telling me what God says, not what man says. That He might make you know that man does not live on bread alone, but every word, every single word, that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So dear brothers and sisters, let me ask you, is there anything that I have said that is not in the Word? Because if there is, throw it in the garbage where it belongs. Do you crave the Word like your next meal? Do you want to hear what God has to say on the pages that were written by the Holy Spirit through men? Open your Bible. Do you want to know, truly know, what God is like and not some idol that has been put in his place? Open your Bible. Do you want to know who the Father is? Open the Bible. Do you want to know the Savior of your soul intimately? Open the Bible. Do you want to know how to be a loving husband, a loving wife, an obedient child? Open your Bible. Do you want to know how to live a Christ-honoring life by the power of the, Spirit, uh, of the Holy Spirit and not your own? Open the Bible. Do you want to hear the voice of God? I wish God would speak to me. That's what I used to say all the time. I wish God would speak to me and I felt cold and empty because I, I w- wasn't on my next emotional high with Jesus. I wish God would speak to me. Open it. Open the Bible. You want him to speak? Open it. These are his words. This is his voice. God will conform us to the image of Christ 
according to his word, his sovereign will, and his plan of sanctification, we will all experience our 40 years, and he will use that to draw those who he has called to daily dependence on his word. The word made flesh, which is Jesus. You should look to God for divine and supernatural sustenance. Do you crave, do you crave his word and the things of God like you crave your next meal? Even more so, much more so, knowing that you cannot hope to have the power to do anything other than be a walking corpse. We were dead in sin. And he came and he brought us back to life. That's, all, that's the only power we have, to be a walking corpse until he comes and he raises us. It, it is the word of God that speaks to you. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers you to thrive. And it's Christ who's our daily bread, the bread that causes us to live forever. I'm going to close with this. It's the application uh, given in uh, Deuteronomy 8.11, the, the verse just after our, our first passage this morning. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I command to you today. Remember the Lord your God and take care lest you forget, lest we forget his holiness and our wickedness apart from his grace. Lest we forget that we do not live on bread alone, but we live on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. What a God we serve, you guys. King of kings, Lord of lords. Besides him, there is no other. In our culture, in our time of lies and deceptions, and this is the truth, and this is the truth, and this is the truth, there has to be an ultimate truth. Yes? We know what it is. We know what it is. And that is not arrogance. It is confidence in who God is and who we are in Christ. If it's seen as arrogance, that's not on you. It's not on you. Be confident. This is the Word of God handed down through the millennia. This has everything we need. Everything. If everything was stripped away and you're in an empty room with just the Word of God, He will sustain you. I'm going to close in prayer here. Close my, uh, my sermon in prayer. God in heaven, holy is your name. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thank you, Lord. There is no one like you. Amen.
Let's start with the microphone check. One, two, first. Water to the dry and weary soul of the true church. The kind of things that few search. They say that the truth hurts. Well, this pain is gain, so let's explain the new birth. First things first, can't neglect this at the start. I must preface my remarks with the deadness of the heart from original sin, the effects of the fall. The sin of our first parents brought death to us all. Since Adam was our federal head, what he did counted for us. In him were all rebels and dead. Yo, captured in the mind, disaster, sin and crimes in a dark state. Alaska in the winter time, sour in our frames. Left to ourselves, we be devoured in the flames. Cause we're powerless to change. If you feel that way, I pray that you respond happily. As you see what Jesus had to say in John chapter 3.